This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today we're talking about Secure Health Information Exchange with Patty Dodgen, CEO at Helix. Thanks for joining us today, Patty. Thank you, Howard. It's my pleasure. I understand that you've served as a consultant for several HIE projects. Is that correct? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, Helix has worked with or are currently working with the states of um, Arizona, here in Florida, Guam, Iowa, Maryland, Mississippi, North Carolina, North Dakota, and Puerto Rico. So it's a pretty broad expanse of a wide diversity of states that we've uh, been involved with. Do you anticipate that most HIEs eventually will rely on digital certificates for user authentication, or will they use some other option for that? Yes, I think most HIE vendors, at least the ones that we work with and we're familiar with, are going with digital um, certificates and and multi-level user authentication procedures. I think that's really going to become the de facto standard at some point in the future. Why do you think that will become the standard? I think because the the authentication process being quicker and uh, less expensive that when you have the digital certification, that is one level of, of uh, authentication. And then the, the um, succeeding levels are um, really important in terms of uh, preventing the breaches, some of the breaches that we hear about today. Of course, there are other, uh, other projects underway, some new ones, specifically those having to do with PCAS, and uh, they may, in fact, change some of those approaches as they play out. We'll just have to wait and see. Many HIEs are weighing whether to create a central repository for patient information or use a federated model where data is accessed at its original locations. What are the pros and cons of each model when it comes to maintaining privacy, and which approach do you think will become most common over the long haul? You know, once upon a time, the approach was typically a, a, um, a consolidated or centralized model, and then we heard more and more about the federated model where data continued to reside in its original location, and then there was the hybrid. And over the past 18 months or so, most of the models that the states have uh, have contemplated have really been some version of a hybridized model. But I think what we're seeing is that most vendors are moving to the cloud-based HIE, where the data continues to be stored in its original location, which is somewhat not unlike the uh, the federated model. We're not even hearing much about federated or centralized uh, models anymore. It's uh, really all about cloud computing. And I think the reason for this is because the security is actually enhanced when the data is maintained at the original site and the, um, the original provider has some control over its release. Now, the centralized and hybridized models have two major disadvantages. First of all, you have to move some data to a central storage location, and usually that's in the form of patient demographics uh, because that helps enable the fastest location of the information that's sitting out in the federated locations. So once you move some of that data, that adds layers of security to the overall process. And then it also usually adds staff costs to manage the additional processes and the additional storage requirements. And so that tends to put a lot of pressure on the sustainability model. Uh, The only real advantage to these systems is disaster recovery. And in the event of a large major disaster like Irene or Katrina, data recovery for those impacted areas is, is actually enhanced. Help me to make sure I understand what you mean by 
the cloud model for this and how that mm -hmm. relates to or supports leaving the data so it can be accessed at its original location. In most cloud models, you have some synchronization of data that's going on, both in the virtual cloud as well as back at the um, individual, uh, back at the repository, so that there are behind-the-scenes processes that make sure that you have real-time mirroring of that data, so it's not necessary to physically move those bits and bytes into some centralized repository to facilitate the, the um, functioning of the record locator service. You know, typically to, to really kind of simplify it, and I have to think about it this way, Howard, because I'm not really a technologist, so I think in lay terms, an, an HIE consists of two primary functionalities, a, patient, a master patient index, sometimes referred to as an enterprise master patient index, an EMPI or an MPI, and that is some way of identifying that the Chris B. Smith that we're looking for is, in fact, the right individual when we go out to search for um, information about that patient's care. The other piece is a record locator service, and the best way um, for a layperson to think about that is to think about the bots that go out that are basically fairly sophisticated algorithms when you make a Google search. And they go out at light speed and search all over the, um, the Internet looking for that search term or those references, and then they return information specific to that search term very, very rapidly. And that's how an HIE typically works. Now, um, it, it goes a little bit beyond my level of, of technical understanding to um, really explain the difference in a, a pure cloud offering. But what we've seen with the vendors that we've worked with is a, a very near to real-time synchronization of that data in a real thin client sort of way that gets around the issues that I just mentioned um, having to do with additional layers of security, additional layers of authentication and access approval, and the attendant cost and um, resource constraints that go around that. Many HIEs are using the opt-out approach to patient consent, giving patients the opportunity to opt out of having their data shared. Do you think that over time more will shift to an opt-in approach where patient permission must be received before any data is actually exchanged? No, no, I, I really don't think that's what we're going to see. I think we're going to see uh, that those who are currently using opt-in are actually going to move to opt-out. And the reason for that is it, it's really a sustainability trade-off. Opt-in doesn't give an individual HIE, whether it's a public or private HIE, it, it doesn't necessarily create the number of users or the amount of data that's required to have a robust exchange, and it makes sustainability nearly impossible. So in those models, um, some of the studies indicate that the number of patient records available for exchange falls below 10%, and it really um, makes the value of the HIE very, very marginal. And, and you can understand why it's not that people don't typically want to share their data in an appropriate fashion, but there are challenges in, um, to successfully market the opt-in process, especially in a public HIE model where you've got hundreds or thousands of provider offices and getting consumer acceptance when no is perceived as the safest answer. What we found is that if you ask, do you want to opt in, the answer tends to be no. But if the individual doctor says to his patient, would it be all right for me to share this information with doctor such and such, overwhelmingly the answer is usually yes. 
So we think that the opt-out approach with the proper education, so those who truly do not want their data exchanged have the ability to say, I want to completely opt out, and they understand that. We think that that's more likely to be the most realistically viable way of going. Are you confident that the nationwide health information network standards that are now in development will eventually pave the way for various HIEs to share information with each other from coast to coast? And if so, are there new security risks that would have to be addressed? Yes. I, I think they they will pave the, pave the way for um, cross-state um, sharing of information. We, we're still a little ways from away from full implementation, but we think that they're on the right track, and eventually you'll see um, the states linked together. The, the additional security risks are really what I would describe as the weakest link in the chain scenario. So if every participating entity does what they should be doing, uh, the risks will be very minimal. But if you've got several participating entities with security holes, it's just going to increase the risk. So the challenge will be to make sure that we have the strong security protocols and standards and that we have compliance among the participating entities. I think in the final analysis, it's going to depend on the ability of the feds to have strong accountability procedures and processes in place so that we do see the level of compliance necessary. But we're, we're very encouraged. Finally, the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology has called for the use of metadata tags within electronic health records, such as to indicate patient consent for clinicians to view specific data elements. The Council sees the metadata tags as a way of ultimately easing national health information exchange. Is that a practical, feasible approach, do you think? Well, it's very early on, but it's very, very encouraging. The way metadata tags help is from the context of clinical data exchange between two trading partners. Using the tags allows the partners to leverage the current um, technology, and we think it's going to grow very quickly. It looks like the usefulness to exchange is going to make it a valuable tool. For providers who, who understand who owns the data, it makes the data more accessible and can be used to enhance the clinical experience for the patient. We think it seems very practical and, and seems feasible in early tests. As you know, there are two um, announced pilots that are going to um, crank up this fall. One is the Query Health Initiative, which is designed to help uh, deliver the standards for the uh, way queries are made and how the metadata is used as a part of that querying process. And then the second pilot project is uh, called the Data Segmentation Initiative, and this is a mechanism that will allow... Um, data to be selectively queried and pulled on the basis of those metadata tags that are input, which would give the um, patient uh, much more flexibility in terms of allowing who they want to see exactly what pieces of data are okay for them to see. So, right, I think that will um, eventually make that opt-out process much more um, feasible and, and viable in the long run when the individual consumers understand that through the use of these metadata tags, I can say, yes, it's okay for this doctor to see everything in my um, record, but maybe I don't have any need for this specialist to see anything specific to mental health treatment I've received or substance abuse treatment and so forth. So I think it will allow um, consumers to be much more comfortable in terms of, of sharing what needs to be shared. Well, thanks very much. We've been talking today with Patty Dodgen, CEO of Helix. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so very much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com. 
For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.healthcareinfosecurity.com.